This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. Dot, I assume Tom. This film aired at the Newport Beach Film Festival and is all over North America right now. Uh, We're All in This Together is written, directed, starring, uh, craft service setup, uh, best boy, gaffer, uh, you know, uh, camera person, lighting, everything. Uh, <laughs> probably not all of it, but at least two thirds of that. Katie Boland, how are you today? Tired. No, I'm very good. Um, yeah, I definitely did. This is my first feature film and thank you so much for having me on the show. And I definitely did many, many jobs on it. So you were right to, to make that joke. Well, let's, let's put it in perspective. This is your first full length feature film and you wrote it. You directed it. You starred in it as twins. Like, was there some, like, Either you're extremely egotistical or extremely broke in your casting that you couldn't have like that many other people involved <laughs> or you're a control freak. I don't know. We'll just play it by ear. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I definitely thought a lot, like, what does this say about my psychology that this was what I chose? Like of all the first features that I could have made, why did I choose one that I wanted to write and star in as twins and direct? Um, so I think it has something to say about my control issues. And also um, I really do like, a ch- I really do like a challenge. And I've been an actress for a very long time. Like been an actress probably since I was seven years old. So a part of me was like, I just really was excited for this challenge, but there's definitely something wrong with me that I thought like, Oh yeah, that, this is, this is doable. This is what I should do. You know, like, like, how do you go from here, you know, writing, directing, starring in two different roles for, for a film? Like, do you sit, how do you top this next? You know what? I'm going to be every single character in a Eddie Murphy style nutty professor franchise. <laughs> like, is that's that a next? Question. No, that's not next. I actually, in making this film, I thought like, I've been very lucky in my career to play a lot of the parts that I wanted to play. And this was really a bucket list challenge. And these two roles were very special to me. So now I'm more interested in moving just into the writing and directing space. And I'm currently directing a film for Lifetime where I'm not acting in it at all. And I've been really enjoying that. So I do have a feature in development um, that I wrote and would like to direct that I maybe may in, but I'm also really enjoying not having to see my face so much. <laughs> You're like, I don't have to wear makeup for this to hell with everyone. Yeah. It's like, I don't need to sit in an editing room and stare at myself twice. That's, that's not so fun. <laughs> the whole, there's a, just a strand of hair hanging down over your right eye that you never adjusted during the shot. So it's annoying you throughout the rest of the film. Yes. It's stuff like that. That just bothers you more than it would with any other person. But again, like I do, I really liked the control. I really did like the control and I did feel like I, I was curious if I could trust myself to do this and to take on this challenge. And, um, I learned that I could. So that was something that was positive that came out of it. Well, congratulations. You did something right. And, you know, to add to the mental distress of everything, uh, this is based on a book and we're all in this together is about psychological trauma 
and in the fact and mental illness and that it's somehow a balanced out dark comedy while staying respectful not only to the source material but to the subject matter oh thank you that's so sweet yeah so you pulled something off here and you're going from this to a scorned woman film on lifetime (laughs) that that's my presumption because it's lifetime Yes, it is actually not a scorned woman film. It's something a little different for Lifetime. It has a lot of humor and structurally it's a bit different. Um, I was attracted to it because they are doing something. Um, they're sort of breaking the mold for Lifetime. And I, unfortunately, I can't talk about it until the new year. But, um, but yeah, now I'm a director for hire, which is just a really interesting new place that my life has taken me that I didn't necessarily see coming. So are they trying to compete with their sister station Hallmark now for like holiday films? They're like, you guys got Christmas. We're taking Valentine's Day. No, oh, I don't okay. think so. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to take one of the other holidays. But my birthday is Valentine's Day. So I'm competing for that actually. Ah, okay. So you just get all the love then. Yes. Yeah. Luckily. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. But what prompted you, obviously you read the book, remind us who the author of the book is and, you know, how this catalyst, what was the catalyst for all this to get there? Because, you know, here's this humorous slant novel about somebody with mental illness and family trauma that starts off with a woman going over a waterfall in a barrel, which, you know, has been a longstanding joke in comedy, especially in the northeastern United States and Canada with the whole Niagara Falls thing Mm -hmm. to now, you know, playing twins that go along with the story. Yeah. So how it came to be was I really liked Amy Jones, the author. I really liked her work and I knew who she was and she's a very famous author in Canada. And we have the same literary agent in Canada. So I went to my agent and I said, like, look, I'm, I'm looking for something that I want to adapt and direct and potentially star in. And he gave me a few things, but he said, I think you're really going to like Amy's book the most. And I think you're going to like it because you could play twins. And almost as soon as he said that, it was like, I couldn't talk myself out of it. Like, it was such a crazy idea that I just felt I couldn't not do it. Um, so, so I read the book. I loved the book. I saw sort of a path to financing it. And um, that's how it all came to be. And yeah, the, the tone of the book, as you, as you mentioned with it being darkly comedic was, was very important to me, um, to also have in the film because I have a lot of people who suffer from mental illness in my life. I think that we're talking about it more and more as a society, which is amazing, but I also wanted to paint an accurate picture of what it's like to love someone with mental illness or to be someone with mental illness, which is like, it's not, it's not a death sentence. It's not the worst thing in the world. There, there is a lot of humor. So I tried to make it as accurate to, to, to what I saw as I could. Right. And, you know, the, the story itself, well, the the backstory itself is kind of fun because the fact that your mom is one of the executive producers on the film. Yes. Uh, and you know, you didn't go into engineering or, you know, become a pharmacist or anything stable. Uh, you followed the foot, your mother's footsteps in, uh, you know, one of the most stable careers is the arts because she's a professional photographer. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, was a very, very famous photographer and then became a director. 
Um, and she was always quite encouraging of me and my brother, who's a musician, like, and, and my father as well, following our dreams. But they were interesting parents to have as I was growing up in the film industry, because my mom and dad were really like, don't do this. Like, this isn't a good environment for children. Like, I, it's not like what you think it is. They were like supportive of me, but they were like, we really don't think this is it. And then I kept working and stuff. And then my mom has now been become my biggest mentor and supporter, especially as I've moved into directing. Um, it was incredible to have her as an executive producer on the film because she's just such a wealth of knowledge. And um, I'm very, very lucky. So I, I do have to segue just ever so slightly from your mom and how, you know, she was a great stage mom and took care of you along the way. Um, you are from Canada. Yeah. You've been acting since you were seven years old. And you're like one of three Canadian actresses from youth that hasn't ended up on the Degrassi series. How does that happen? Well, what is funny is another one of my producers, Paula Brancati, was on the Degrassi series. Paula, Paula's like huge on Degrassi. She's, I forget what, who she play, Ellie? Like, she's a big part on it. Um, uh, that was, it, that's a great question. That was a conscious choice. I had been on, you know, children and youth programming my whole life from when I was like, let's say eight till I was 14. And then I was starting high school. And I was like, I had no idea how famous Degrassi was going to be and like no idea how cool it would have been to be friends with Drake. So now I, now I regret it more than anything. But at the time I was like, I don't think I want to audition for it. Like, I think I want to like go to high school and I'm more interested in making art films and, and doing more adult stuff. But now if, when people ask me like, do you, what's your biggest life regret? It, it is. I would tell my my young self to go make friends with Aubrey Graham. That's it's truly my my greatest regret that I'm not better friends with him. And for Australians that don't know what Degrassi is, it's kind of like Neighbors, where every Australian actor has to go through that show to get into television and film. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's our version of like Coronation Street or Neighbors, or only it's like teen and sexy. Right. Which, yeah, I guess Neighbors is adult and sexy. No, I don't. How would you describe it? I don't neighbors? know. Yeah. 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 Degrassi is really its own thing, but yeah. Yeah. De Degrassi is a more realistic say by the bell at that point. <laughs> I love say by the bell. <laughs> well, you know, season two for, for Peacock is coming out for the reboot. So, or this sequel series. Cannot wait. <laughs> so. You sit there and you're like, all right, I'm going to finally get behind the camera. And you go all out. You know, you didn't like write a short film and go, all right, let's start with the short film first. See if I can write, direct, and star in the short film. You I actually would... did. Well, I did. That's, that's right. You did do the short film for this as kind of your pitch. Yeah. And I made another short film before that called Lil Zita that you can find. It's uh, L O L. Z I T A and it's on, it's on my website and it's on Vimeo and, um, that was completely separate. So that was sort of my first outing as a writer, director and acting. So I had tried it a few times before, but this was no question, like the, the most challenging. See, that's the confusing thing about you Canadians. Like I listened to everything you said, but I got stuck on the Z. Oh, and I'm like, I know. I'm like, you guys sound like us, but you spell like the French and you yeah. use. English terms with our accent that really is confusing. 
you know. Yeah, so. I know. It's so funny. Like, it, it's just, we are, there are just small but very significant cultural differences between Americans and Canadians. And I'm like, I live in America for the most part now, and I'm constantly surprised still after years of living in America about the things that are different. <laughs> yeah. Well, we gave you a chance in 1812. You guys said no. So yeah, here we it is. Loyal to the crown. So I know, I know, you know. And the only thing that we're loyal to in Canada that has crown in it is Crown Royal. Right. So, <laughs> so, so you take Amy's book, you tra- you translate it into a screenplay. Um, you have, the book is probably about like 350, 400 pages that you have to whittle down to a 90 plus, r- roughly 90, 95 page screenplay. How difficult is that for you as the writer? to not only adapt somebody's work, but adapt somebody's work who's living and also adapt somebody's work who you now know on a personal level. It was very difficult because obviously there were parts of the novel that were really important to Amy that I just could not find a way to put in the film, but she could not have made it easier. Like she really gave me the space to make it my own. She was very supportive. We did speak while I was writing the script, but not very much about um, the creative directions that I was taking the film. And she knew from our first meeting that what was most interesting to me was the twins storyline. And we talked about tone and, and other things that mattered and were important to her, but she was really a dream partner in that way because she let me make it my own and she's been nothing but supportive. So I'm really, really grateful, but of anyone seeing the movie I was the most nervous about her seeing the movie and she saw it when it premiered at the Vail Film Festival and she she loved it so that made me feel like a huge huge relief so so long as Amy loved the movie you were in the clear I felt that way right you know you're like Steve the critic whatever you didn't like it I don't care Amy liked it that's what matters yeah I don't want to read reviews (laughs) I just want to I'm just happy that you know Amy liked it you're like score we got one that's the mat- the one that mattered yeah yeah you know when you go back and now you revisit this film because it's making its film festivals circuit you were here in newport beach at least the film was you know you're going to vancouver you're all across the western united states and canada you know what is the general reaction from people whether you know just as an audience member or running into somebody that will privately pull you to the side and go, you know, my cousin's kind of like the mom in this film or something to that extent. Mm -hmm. Well, what's been interesting is, is I haven't really seen it with an audience yet. Like Vail was online. So on Tuesday, I'm going to the Kukaloris Film Festival, which is in Wilmington, and I will see it with an audience for the first time. So I'm very excited and curious for those conversations and, and what they'll be like. But people have who have seen the film that are friends of mine that I've just sent it to. It sparked long conversations about sort of generational trauma and families and and um, parts of themselves that they see in in either twin and and I really really appreciate when people feel comfortable enough or safe enough after seeing the film um, to share with me what it meant to them and how it, how they saw themselves or people they love reflected in it. Well, you did something that's very rare, especially in the society that we live in now. Um, you were able to take something that's traumatic and put a humorous spin on it without being preachy. It, you just were able to tell a story 
And like everything else in life, there are ups, there's downs, there, there's laughter, there's tears, there's so much going on. And you didn't hit us over the head with the sledgehammer and go, this is the part that you should pay most attention to. You just let the story unfold. And I commend you for that. Oh, thank you. That's a really, that means a lot to me. And that's a really kind thing for you to say. And yes, you're very, you're very funny and straightforward. So I w- really wasn't sure where this was going to go. <laughs> no, I'm, gi- I'm giving you a compliment. I've teased you about being Canadian enough as it is. We can actually you yeah. know, say some good thank stuff you. about your work too. And, you know, Thanks. not just be disappointed that you didn't end up on Degrassi and had a cameo in a, in a Drake song. I know. Trust me. <laughs> No one is more disappointed than me. Yeah. Well, maybe you'll put him in one of your movies or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. Be able that to pull be, that off. I would die happy. <laughs> well, don't die anytime soon because we like you and we want you to stick around and have you have a long uh, career behind the camera. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. And I've really enjoyed meeting you. And like, please, like, you know, let's stay in touch. And um. Yeah, I hope to meet you in person one day. Thank I you. I hope so too. No, thank you for being a part of this. I'm really thrilled for you with with everything that's going on and the film festivals that it's going to be in. You know, you you've done so much with this film itself. Uh we're all in this together is uh you know, tell us the next couple of festivals. So you said Tuesday is your first time watching it with an audience and then yeah. after that what where are you going to be? Yeah, so it'll be at Cucaloris in Wilmington, North Carolina and that's on Tuesday. Um, and then it is going to the Whistler Film Festival, which is in British Columbia, Canada. And then it is going to the Anchorage Film Festival. And you can follow all of the updates. And then it's going to CineQuest in the new year, which is in Silicon Valley. And you can follow all of the updates about the film and where it's playing, what film festivals on my Instagram. And that's at katieboland13. And you can follow me on Twitter, which is just katieboland. Awesome. Oh, Katie, I remember one thing before before I let you go. In our pre-interview, you mentioned yeah. that your dad used to feed you and your brother KFC all the time. Like your mom would be on assignment shooting something. Like she'd be like one of those crazy National Geographic people that like, hey, the lion's about to attack us. Grab the picture, get in the van and go before it pounces type, type situations while you guys are eating KFC. Would you try to get a KFC sponsor for your next indie film just so your dad could come to set and eat? Okay, it's truly hilarious that you're asking this because KFC has been a big part of the film I am making right now. The lead character always talking about like her famous fried chicken and the best fried chicken on camera is always KFC. So we've all been eating KFC for like the past few weeks, but like, yes, KFC is delicious. Of course, I would love to include them in anything I ever make. I have wigs in every movie I've ever made and I'll have KFC. Yeah. And is that the incentive to get your dad to do a set visit? Yes. He would love to visit. (laughs) Yeah. He would love to visit. COVID has made it a little more difficult and he's a bit older now, but yes, he would love to visit and eat. Once things clear up, you know, br- bring uh, Papa Bolin on set and uh, and see how he, he reacts to it. He'll love it. You know? <laughs> Thank what's, you for that great idea. Yeah. Well, what's the big thing that, before I let you go, because I know you're strapped for time and everything that's going on, you got to get ready for Tuesday and meet people and shake hands and kiss babies like you're a politician. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's the big takeaway you want people to pay attention to? Uh, we're all in this together. And what's one conversation you think people should have after watching the film? 
Oh, those are such great questions. Well, the one conversation I'd love for people to have after watching the film is maybe a conversation about mental health and awareness about what people might be going through that you aren't privy to and how sometimes people will make difficult choices or bad choices because they're in a bad situation. I hope it makes people understand their family and maybe family members that they're not thrilled with a little more. And the one thing that I would like them to look out for is, um, well, I guess, <laughs> see if you think I did a convincing job playing twins. And my brother was the composer. He worked with his producing partner, Nathaniel Smith. So keep an ear out for the music. I think it's really special. Awesome. So you're going to be able to like have uh, vinyl presses of the score as well for your brother to sell? I mean, I'm going to tell him to do that. I didn't yeah. even think about that till now. Yeah. You got to make some money off merch too. Got to hustle. Yeah. You yes. know, like, like go to a concert, you know, the bands are selling $40 t-shirts because they make most of their money off merch. Yes. <laughs> Katie Bullen, thank you so much for your time. It's been a great pleasure. I always love chatting with you uh, on the record now and off the record previously. We're all in yeah. this together. You got to check it out. Thank you so, so much.